Joe Hill and Cesar Chavez Who fought in their own time For our brothers and our sisters Up and down that picket line For the unnamed and unnumbered Who struggle brave and long For the union men and women Standing up and standing strong Tomorrow, December 6th, is the anniversary of the merger of the AFL-CIO in 1955. The American Federation of Labor, AFL, had since its founding in 1886 primarily supported the organization of craft unions, skilled workers, usually white males, often to the detriment of industrial workers. Industrial unions were more likely to support unskilled workers, people of color, immigrants, and women. In 1935, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, CIO, originally formed as part of the old AFL under the leadership of the United Mine Workers, UMW, dynamic leader John L. Lewis. Eight unions were part of the original CIO. In 1936, the CIO launched the most massive organizing campaign in U.S. history in the depths of the Great Depression. The CIO hired African-American organizers to show their commitment to African-American inclusion. They also hired communists and other radicals because they were good organizers and committed to racial justice. The 1935 Wagner Act recognized the legality of unions for the first time in U.S. history and created the mechanism for legal recognition through the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB. While established groups like the NAACP and the Urban League initially took a more neutral, cautious stance toward the CIO, a new group emerged, the National Negro Congress. At their founding convention on February 14, 1936, they had 817 delegates representing nearly 600 organizations with an estimated combined membership of over 1 million. The convention heard A. Philip Randolph, head of the Sleeping Car Porters Union and longtime leader within the AFL, speaking to the new group's purpose. Improve the lives of working-class black people primarily through supporting industrial organizing through the new CIO. Major campaigns soon followed in steel, auto, rubber, packing house workers, shipbuilding, communications, and among seamen, warehouse workers, and many others. In March of 1937, the FL kicked out the CIO. In a few years, millions were organized by the CIO. The AFL also grew during the Depression, partly through competing against the CIO, now seeking to organize industrial workers as well. The competition was especially sharp in the aircraft industry, where the United Auto Workers, UAW, the CIO, went head-to-head with a former craft union in the AFL, the International Association of Machinists. During World War II, both groups signed no-strike pledges. The CIO made serious efforts, especially in the left-led unions like the UAW, the packing house workers, and the transport workers to suppress hate strikes, to educate membership, and support Roosevelt's tentative efforts to remedy racial discrimination in war industries through the Fair Employment Practice Commission. But the CIO unions didn't work as hard on sex discrimination in wartime industries, which now employed many more women in non-traditional jobs. Some unions, who had long represented women, such as the United Electrical Workers, UE, and the Food and Tobacco Workers, had fairly good records fighting discrimination against women. Others often saw them as merely wartime replacements for the men. After the war in 1946-47, major strikes occurred across all industries and were mostly won by labor. The biggest CIO drive of this period was Operation Dixie in 1946. The effort spanned 12 southern states to raise wages in the South and simultaneously transform conservative regional politics, thereby allowing the trade union agenda to win nationally. The campaign failed miserably because of the CIO's reluctance to confront Jim Crow segregation laws. In 1947, the Taft-Hartley law was passed requiring union leaders to sign statements they were not Communist Party members. The law 
plus internal CIO divisions over endorsing Henry Wallace's presidential campaign in 1948 and supporting the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe, the commies favored Wallace and opposed the Marshall Plan, led to the expulsion of the more militant unions and some of the union's best organizers. Some of the unions that were expelled were the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Workers Union, the International Union of Mines, Mill, and Smelter Workers, and the Food and Tobacco Workers. By the 1955 merger, with the expulsion of the radicals and the AFL now organizing industrial unions, there was little practical difference between them. The AFL was twice as large as the CIO and was in a better bargaining position. Walter Ruther, head of the CIO and the UAW, failed to achieve merger conditions like guarantees against racial discrimination, constitutional provisions supporting industrial unionism, and internal divisions to clean up corrupt unions. After the merger, A. Philip Randolph and the National Negro Labor Council continued to fight for equality for African Americans in the union movement and American society. But that is a story for another day. For the past is the past. I'm Harry Richardson.